Hi, I'm Connor Byrne, and this is That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique insights. Today, I meet who I proclaim to be the Mary Poppins of B2B branding. She has the magical power of being able to reposition brands and leave them better off when she leaves than when she arrives. And like Mary Poppins, she does it with a sense of wonder, wit and charm. Today's guest is Rachel Fairley, an international marketing leader and brand strategist who specializes in revitalizing brands, crucially to drive growth. Whether consulting with Siemens, EY, KLM, or working in-house with the likes of Sage, Oracle, or currently HPE, Rachel has delivered countless, well actually we did count them, over 30, strategies over her 25-year marketing career. And in 2021, she was rightly recognized as one of the top 100 global B2B marketing leaders in technology. Now, I'd argue just the world. This episode is a deep dive into brand in a B2B world. We discuss what that actually means, the role of data in brand positioning, walking the halls, getting that C-suite buy-in, recognizing the conditions for success. We talk a lot about the customer, the experience they have, and the fact that no one gives a damn about your brand. And I try to convince Rachel to write a book. If you love brand, but think it's a dirty word and not for a B2B world, well, you need to listen. And in an episode all about brand, guess what? We don't talk about advertising once. So just before we get into today's episode, just a reminder to subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening or watching so you can get a notification of when our next episode lands. And of course, you can visit that's what I call marketing.com where all our previous episodes are hosted. So let's get into this fabulous episode with the brilliant Rachel Fairley. Today's episode of That's What I Call Marketing is brought to you by The Indie List, Ireland's leader for freelance marketing, creative and digital talent. The Indie List provides easy access to hundreds of highly experienced and vetted experts across the marketing services business, quickly and cost effectively. You can check out their full range of services at IndieList.ie. Rachel, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Great. I'm so here. excited. Thanks. Listen, we've so much to talk about. I think I was saying to you over email, we could probably do two hours, but let's, <laughs> let's do our best. For two hours, but I like, I like so enthusiasm. <laughs> so listen, as I was, you know, kind of re, re, reading up and, and kind of doing a bit of research around you and your background, one thing kind of intrigued me was your first job outside of college was working for the company's general counsel in Brussels and of something to do with fiber optic between Russia and America. How did you end up doing that? Well, I was in, uh, in Brighton, University of Sussex. And afterwards, everybody, well, people seem to have got the memo about like applying to graduate jobs and things like that, which completely passed me by. And um, <laughs> lots of friends were moving to London, but on like 12, 13 grand a year. And I just couldn't really work out how some money. So I was trying to work out what to do. My then boyfriend was Belgian and he was like, well, let's go to Brussels. So I went to Brussels and it's one of my few jobs I've had through a recruiter actually, because I went to this, you know, this temp company and typed it about, you know, five words a minute. And they sent me off the interview by an amazing guy who was the general counsel of a, of a telecoms company. And I think basically just needed somebody English speaker. And I mean, he definitely, he taught me all sorts of incredible things. Like I, my spelling's never been particularly good, but now I can spot spelling mistakes. I did lots of contract stuff for him and just sort of supported his team. I mean, you know, I was, you know, I was the junior. I was yeah. uh, amazing when we went on and Vincent and everybody 
They, so, but the, the, the company was basically a telecoms company, which then, you know, those Pac-Mans that sort of morphed over time. It seemed that at the end of the Cold War, this kind of, this, this idea of technology uniting nations, that they would, there's five backbone across Europe yeah. from Russia all the way through to America. Um, you know, the idea that if you can communicate and you can, just fantastic. Yeah. So that was, that was what came. But what I realized he was doing was basically there was a lot of getting the business ready for sale. Yeah. I just learned so much. I mean, it's when I first heard about brand because it was, it was actually an asset on the back. I mean, I remember, I remember turning around and going, what's that? You know, what is that? And, and how do you value it? And how do you, how do you sell it? You know, how much of what is being sold is the fiber optics in the ground, the leases on the office buildings, the talent in the business, you know, and then the brand. It, yeah, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary, but it was sort of a lucky break, I think, because I could have worked doing my five, you know, words a minute anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating, and I and I love the part about then that's where you kind of started uncovering brand and the value of brand and and seeing that. And, and I think again, if I you know was thinking about you, I was like, you, I mean, you've been involved in the transformation, the repositioning, I think, of over thirty brands. Like it's almost like your superpower. <laughs> I'm gonna get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, but you know, it's a really quirky thing to specialize in. And yeah. I do remember I was in, oh gosh, I was doing this job and I absolutely loathed it. We had to reapply for our jobs every three months as they sort of restructured the business. And I got to about oh, wow. nine and I was, I was losing the plot because having to be interviewed for your job and interview all your team for their jobs like every three months. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how emotionally devastating it is whilst also yeah. trying to do work. And, work. Um, and I remember being utterly miserable on holiday. I mean, beyond like unbearable to be with. And then my partner just turned around to me and he said, he said, we just quit. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Wow. I mean, literally the mood shifted. And, and I found myself, she can remember where I was, Cobble Street, very buying, a really rubbish restaurant, but you know, and I remember saying, I just really want to specialize in brand. And so I just went out of my way to learn about brand from that point onwards and to try and be a brand-led marketing career path, right? And I think it's kind of because brand is totally misunderstood, actually. Yes. I, I, there's so much to get into oh. here with that. I, I'm, I'm really interested, though, in, in that because, you know, I don't disagree with you, like, that there probably is an easier path, but yet maybe maybe more specialized and not there's anything wrong with that, but like quite, quite a linear path. Maybe if you're, you know, if you're a field, field marketer, yeah. I, I would have thought the brand marketing gives you that breadth. Can I go back just to, to that moment of, you know, maybe that, that decision. And you said that you, you had to, you really need to learn yeah. about brand. What did you do to, to build that, you know, level of expertise and learning? So I remember it sort of interviewing but also it felt like i was sort of more or less begging than in an agency that was one of the world's leading brand agencies okay. and i i just really wanted it because i thought if i'm at the home of where all these people think about as brand and how to make it work and actually it was really beautiful because i i also very quickly understood that i had an understanding of how business works 
and how you actually, you know, the cycle of a business, not not just the, the, the year and how the pattern of the year, like when budgeting, when you go hard because the customers are really in the market buying, how you seed all of um, but what really struck me was that I understood the life cycle. So, so, you know, when a business was in growth, when it was in kind of retreat, defense, you know, mode, yeah. and just the differences between a small business and a large business, between working internationally and working nationally, just completely different mind. And so I yes. felt like I brought quite a lot to the table on how the businesses would digest and actually manifest the, the brand and how they worked internally. So I got lots of very complex problems and projects to work. They sort of fooled me at the beginning because I got to work on a car washing brand and uh, it was all about packaging design. It's all very kind of creative. And then I think the next job I was given was to try and help a business make more international revenue. And it was like, okay, right. all right. I mean, I just loved it because what I love about brand is that you have to diagnose what the problem is and every company has a yeah. different problem and you have to use qualitative and quantitative data and you have to walk the halls and ask the people I call the glitterati, but the people who know what's going on, right? Because they're not necessarily the most senior. So like, I was about like to say, yes. and they, you know, you scratch at it and you're like, oh, there you go. And so you diagnose yeah. and then you write a strategy and the strategy has to be so crisp and succinct and clear. I mean, the minute I start seeing pyramids and hierarchies and, you know, I just, uh, and then so you get the strategy and then basically that strategy is worth nothing unless the company actually implements it. You have to work yeah. the whole, you have to work the business. You have to get to the point where there's so much momentum. And it has to come with a top-down mandate. If the CEO is not bought in, even if the CMO is, it's just not going to happen. Because it, yeah. you have to drive the kind of change where the customer, no matter how it interacts with you at what stage in its buying cycle, and also employees, that they get an experience where they go, oh, that's so whatever the brand is, right? And yeah, that's really hard work. Because everybody's in silos doing their own thing with quarterly targets. But all the time I was trying to figure out what the methodology was because nobody tells you what methodology. There is no methodology for repositioning a business. Right. So I feel like now that I've got so many under my belt and been doing this for a couple of decades, I actually totally know what the methodology is. Like it's, I, I get it. And it, you, I know how to start at the beginning, work my way through. And I know that. It's never the same twice and you always need even more. But I think I'm getting to the point now where I could, I could bottle it and kind of, you know, was, give it out to people. I would, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's weird, isn't it? But you, we, I just feel like in the last year, I'm like, that I, I know exactly how to do this now. But, you know, yes, you've been involved in like, I think it's over 30 yeah. of those repositioning, you know, and the, you know, that's really interesting, you know, that this moment you're like, Oh, now I now I've got it. You know what I mean? Now's, now's the time to write your book, right? So that do that's... I write a book or not? I am angsting over that at the moment. Do I write a book? Do I not write a book? Do I do a course? Do I not do a course? Do I just go off and do the next thing? But I I feel like I have definitely got to a stage in my career where I want to make sure that other people know how to do this. Yeah. That bothers me because there's none of this stuff. Is it's not it's not brain surgery. Like it's, it's not, but it's the. You know, it's the experience of having done it and having had the ones that haven't worked. Because I know, you know, you you said that there's been plenty that haven't worked for lots of reasons. 
there are the unforeseen situations like the company goes bust so you're, you're almost like you've you've tried to do you've tried to be part of that rescue effort but it's just it's yeah. too late or that the company gets bought sort of gobbled like pac-man gets gobbled up right yeah, yeah. but i think that the biggest challenge actually to doing the work well whether or not your ceo and cmo are on board genuinely and actually you really do need the cfo because if there's an understanding that this will accelerate the business strategy that it will make marketing the impact of marketing the market much more effective and the sales leaders are behind what that's going to do for them right then you've got to have convinced the cfo that it's going to make more money whilst investing less money yeah and if you get that kind of dynamic at the leadership level then game on. before you go before you're going into the work are you get are you better now at spotting the conditions i mean you've talked about kind of right skills right place right time are you are you able to see that now so you know where you go and say i can see by speaking to the ceo that they're truly invested in the repositioning of this brand are you can you spot it under the things you look for it's all right yeah it's like they invariably know where right so they know what they're trying to yeah. do there's usually some discomfort which sometimes is spoken and sometimes it's what they don't say, where, it, where what you can read into it is that they're not quite sure what's holding them back, but something is and they're not sure how to deal with it. And there's also usually some kind of feeling of impatience that they've been trying already, that they've tried to figure this out before, that time is running out, that they just wish they could get it done. And when I hear that kind of combination, I get really excited because if, if, right. the, if that leadership team know where they're headed, but they're, it's almost like they're wading through treacle, you know, they just can't, it's like something is really annoyingly holding them back and yeah. they want to get it done. Then to me, that's like, okay, I, like I'm in, like, let, let me, let's, let's start talking immediately. Right. But that's when I get really interested because because it's wanted and it yeah. not become less specific about what it is they think is wrong. It gives you more freedom to not come in and be the coloring in department or the new ad department, yeah, yeah. you know, all we need is a campaign or we just need to get the naming of the next product right. They actually allow you to come right. in and, and, and ex diagnose and explain what's actually happening. And then, put, and, the, and then, and the thing is, if you do all of that with data, like really, truly do it with qualitative and quantitative data and the company's own data. It's incredibly compelling because it's like you can suddenly... I think that is a really interesting, and you touched on it before, is a misunderstanding of, of brand and, and the role it is. I mean, often, but you, I think sometimes people just assume somebody says brand, well, here comes the person who wants to make the TV ad. Yeah. But, you know, I've definitely come across that and come against that. How do you go about explaining brand? to to some of these organizations like do you have to do an education piece so i think sometimes what happens is i'm allowed to get as far as diagnosis and then the conversation happens because it's almost like okay. well let's just let her do a bit of work and we'll see where she gets to and then we'll figure it out you know huh. 
But the way I would explain brand is it's a shortcut to a decision. I mean, in every situation, it's a shortcut to a decision. It's, it's, so when you come into market to buy or shop or look for something, it's the who you're going to look at first because who you look at first yeah. is, is often who you end up buying from. It's the, am I making the right decision? Yeah, well, this is how I feel about the brand, the company that I'm making this purchase or commitment to. So, because, you know, brand is important for being an employee. So it's for being a, 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 and then it's, it, you know, if you've just signed up, it's the, oh my gosh, am I full of regret or I still feel okay about it? The, am I getting my value for money? Yes, of course I am. Brand mm -hmm. gives great value. You know what I mean? It's all of those steps. But yeah. it, and it's that constant reassurance that that, that 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 choice that you made is totally right. And yes, and that you feel <clears> good to follow through. You have to have the right products at the right price point. You have to have, make them available. What if people want to buy them? have to come into their mind really easily in that kind of buying situation you have to offer an experience that's intuitive in the way that they expect it that's better than other people's you have to build properly you have to be there at all but like all of that it's all the touch yeah. points right it's the whole thing yeah i my my previous employer and i i, I was working with one of the sales leaders on kind of you recall it kind of buyer's remorse and it was all, it was that thing of you do the deal, right? And then how do you make sure the 90 days or whatever period yeah. after that deal is done, that there isn't that moment of regret going, oh, I wish I hadn't brought this person to the theater. Like, I wish yeah. I hadn't brought them. Because they, they've gone on a journey with you, which is about, you know, trust, credibility, maybe a yeah. bit of a risk if you're a new provider. And then that's the moment where I think a lot of us walk away and kind of go like great we've done the deal yeah. right and, and we forget that the brand lives on in, in that experience of yeah. you know making sure whatever it is whether it's onboarding or just like the success of their campaign with you it is happening and that's part of the the brand i think within marketing we often aren't as connected to because because we forget we we do the marketing piece and we think that's you know, one part of it, how do you find, or can you find a way of bridging that gap when you're doing some of this work? You know, I think because brand is often in marketing yeah. and I've always thought it should be attached to the CEO's office. It's an extension of corporate strategy. I mean, ideally you'd work yeah. with the chief strategy officer, whoever has that role. The, the buyer's remorse is really interesting, right? Because we all have it. I mean, I'm sitting on a pair of boots that I really want to keep, that I think I should, but I'm pretending that I've already bought them and I'm seeing whether I feel sick about it before I decide whether to rush them or not, right? We all do it. We do these, we do these kind of making sure. But I remember doing this wonderful piece in one uh, company where we actually tried to work out where the buyer's remorse point was, like where the, where the mm. inflection point was. And it was 20 working days. And it was, it was fascinating. Like beyond that, there was like a very dramatic, have I bought the right thing? How do I prove I bought the right thing to my boss? Oh my goodness. You know, like, and, and depending on the time of year of the company's purchase, it would also be, uh, should I even put it in the budget for next year or not? Or will we just cancel right. next year? Right. I mean, amazing. 
it was almost like you could get line of sight like 11 and 12 months ahead on the fact that company was going to churn. What strikes me is that you have to get use out of what you bought. I think that's yeah. what it comes down to. So if you bought some software or a winter coat or, you know, a new bicycle or a pair of boots, if within a month you haven't actually used it and thought to yourself, God, this is a great purchase, right? Yeah. Then the seed of doubt is already sown. And in a working environment, the challenge is like this. I think this is the fundamental difference between B2B and B2C. From, from my perspective is the, the worry in B2C situations that you've wasted your money, time and effort, right? And that can be really serious depending on how much your money, time and effort is worth to you at that moment. I mean, if you yes. have very little energy because you've been ill, then the effort is really valuable to you and you wish you, you have regret, right? Going to the theater, needing a day in bed to get over it, that kind of thing. If you have very little money, then making a purchase and realize, yeah, I mean, it's just awful, right? But in a business situation, I think there's a really interesting dynamic, which is that you worry about other people perceiving you to be a poor decision maker or having misspent company money or having yeah. brought something in that's making the working life for other people's heart. Um, and so there's this anxiety at an emotion, a more rational level about having done the right thing and not done the right thing. And that can eat away. So I think the post-contract period of time in every business, you have to work out what window you have for making yeah. that value exchange feel great and don't assume that you know what it is. And then you have to work really hard on making sure that you don't let that customer down and that they make the most of what they're doing. And I think if you do that, you come to really know them and understand their business. If you can institutionalize that knowledge, then you have very successful customer relationships for a long time. Yeah. Not that it necessarily will affect your churn rate because churn rates seem to be more associated with how prestigious your brand is, how lead brand is. Sort of like the leaders get a lower churn and then everybody else is sort of much of a muchness. But what's interesting in B2B is that even if you churn with a company, the people who bought you may change job and go elsewhere. And then if you're top of mind for them, then you get, so actually that, you know, there's lots yeah. of dynamics worth work you are listening to that's what i call marketing in partnership with the indie list where you will find experienced and vetted marketing talent people like me and also people who design and people who write you get the idea check out the indie list.ie i'd love to actually you, you touch on kind of the b2b piece and i would love to talk to you a bit about that like i think b2b is often seen as probably the, the less glamorous side of of marketing right I, I kind of disagree i think it should be more exciting right i think i think often people are doing the wrong thing makes it sometimes mind-numbingly boring but there's an there's no excuse for it but you you made a great point and i read for you you said when you're in b2c if you're selling products to people you often do it through someone yeah. else right but in b2b you're often selling directly to the customer, which is incredibly valuable because you can get a lot of really valuable data and insight. But you've also made the point of there's a huge risk of anecdotes yes. within oh, that. Oh, yeah. I'd love to talk about um, that. Oh, God, there's this wonderful woman who had a free foot and I've just forgotten. It's, it's this issue in business about focusing on what the last person... Right. So, you know, the challenge... Without getting into sort of 
all the research speak, right? The challenge is if you go and yeah. ask 10 people about something and you are from the business and they know you, they will already be giving you answers where they are, there's a dynamic, right? So if you're the head of yeah. sales speaking to a really senior customer and you say to them, how was that deployment? How did it go? You will get an answer which is got so there's so many dynamics that have got nothing to do with the answer going on, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so people who are comfortable speaking up will speak up and the quiet ones will not. So the challenge is, is that people come along with anecdotes or stories or even they'll have done some research, but they, they will have executed it in a way where actually it gives you false positives and false negatives. Yeah. I think it's really important that I, by the way, not that you can't find the glimmers in that because, so for example, in the last brand we presented, it was an anecdote from a sales leader that literally unlocked everything for me, right? Yes. But yeah. what you have to do is you have to get an independent researcher to do the research in a non-leading way. And you have to do that qualitatively. And I'm very fond of researcher, Lem. Um, she's like a sort of behavioral psychologist. So she, she's, she's looking for why you're saying what you're saying, not necessarily what you're saying. And then you have to do quant because you basically, whatever you learn, you then need to test it out, scale in different countries, different markets, different audiences to see what actually gets the volume of truth and what doesn't. And. I quite like doing that research in different ways. So I, I often run a piece of research twice right, where once the qualifier to get in is a net promoter score question, like, would you promote this brand? And if they say yes, then I answer all the questions because I know they're fans. And then the other one yeah. where I don't ask that, I just hoover up everybody who's by, who's willing to take the survey and is qualified and I ask them the question. So you get kind of how the market sees you, like how your neighborhood sees you versus how your friend sees you and what yeah, you're looking right. for is the things that your friend loves about you that if only you could teach the whole neighborhood maybe they'd love you too in the same way and then you're looking for the things in the neighborhood where they're much more dispassionate so they're more likely to tell you when they perceive big Achilles heels and so you, it gives you a real opportunity to map business models you can be really close to the customer or not close to the customer you have to institutionalize being close and you, you work your way through as well with employees. What makes the company? Why did you want to join? Makes it somewhere you want to stick around. If you're going to leave, why would you leave? Because you're looking for something within the culture that bridges to something that the customers really want so that you can say to everybody, you know how we are like this? That is so valuable to the customer. That's really interesting. And that, for me, that's how you do culture, you do values. They're not separate things. They're not, you don't go off and kind of pontificate about how you are and what you'd like to be. You look for the truth in the culture and how that really makes a difference to the customer. And then you tell people over and over again, because you have to protect that. I do find that fascinating because again, I'm like an employer brand, which is kind of a, the marketing thing, it's an HR. There's only one brand, it, right? I mean, you don't. Yeah. But the brand. Brand. yeah you want to work with Disney, yeah. or if you want to watch <laughs> Disney, it's the same brand. You don't go, oh, I want yeah. to work for Disney. That's the employer brand. I want to work. I want to. I want to watch Disney. Oh, that's the consumer brand. It's just a brand. So that's I, yeah. that's why I find I problematic because when I hear it's, I have no. 
I don't have a problem with what employer brand stands for. What I have a problem with is the minute you give it that kind of label, it makes it an other thing. You yeah. have to, if you're going to really, really be a successful business, you have to find people that want to buy from you. You have to really make sure that they get what they need and they're happy. You have to have people working for you that are utterly brilliant at what they're delivering, making, conceiving, providing that for customers. And they have to be really happy and they're, they have to find it meaningful. And so if you don't have that, you haven't got it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, and that's where I was going. Like it, it's in different departments and it just makes no, no sense. It's like, why are, we, why are we doing this? And I think you've said as well, you know, there's about one brain cell for every single brand. We did care about you know, and none of us do. I know. But this is the thing I think we we forget, or often maybe just have to be reminded of, is nobody yeah. cares. Nobody cares. And when that advert burns out, it's not burned out. You just you you don't want to see it anymore. And actually, that's probably bored. the point where it started to work. I mean, Mark Ritson talks about this, but how you can. So I think the advantage with consumer brands is that people will find it easier to relate to what they're selling, what they're marketing, okay. if they can imagine yeah. themselves as a consumer. It's quite difficult to imagine yourself buying a supercomputer. Or, you know what I mean? It's quite difficult to imagine yeah, right. you buying yourself a space shuttle. Or, you know, these are, these are purchases that it's m much harder intellectually. And, all, and also, so you, see, so you can't put yourself in the minds of the consumer. But I, I actually think that's a strength because then you have to go and ask the buyer how they think what they want why they want it you have to learn what they want and then you have to monitor and understand it as it changes you can't second guess right and i mean i think that's that's that sort of that's part of the beauty of b2b is that intellectual honesty that you you know it's not about it's not about feeling it it's instinctively knowing it it's about actually really really seeing things from the buyer's perspective and how you're going to and how you're going to address that and the problem with brand is a bit split up into different departments if you're kind of basically saying yeah. to people come and work for us because it'll be like this or if you are marketing something and then sales walk through the door and it's like what they are saying is completely different right there's just all these moments where all it needs is for somebody to hesitate like, I, I think when brand is done badly, it creates hesitation. And how do you get, you know, the work you do, how do you get everybody across an organization seeing the role that they play tying into the brand? Like, how, I, how are you bringing it together? Like, are you sitting everybody down and going, this is what we are as a brand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you have to convince everybody of the diagnosis. And then you have to make sure everybody knows what the strategy is without having to get a PowerPoint out. But it's yeah. success for me is that it well recent and the person said to me, oh, it was amazing because you explained the strategy and I could draw it without seeing any graph. And somebody else said, yeah, I was able to phone my boss afterwards and just explain it. And it made sense. So it's got to be something that people don't need a PhD or PowerPoint to yeah. explain. Like genuinely, I've got to. And then, so I mean, it's fundamentally about answering the sort of what, why, how, who question, and that's it. No pyramids, no, yeah. you know, Maslow, no, no four by fours, no SWOT analysis, none. Of then, if you convince everybody that the situation is the situation, and then you have help, helped everyone understand what the strategy is and why it'll work, and they get it. 
then you have to put in the labor from that moment onwards i think it's a labor of love like you have to spend hours and hours with people and their leadership teams to the point where they articulate it and they start to use it as a criteria for decision making and if you figured out as a business what is going to be the big lever that you pull to drive the change then you have to get all of them involved in taking responsibility for doing it so branch the the sort of department of branch should always be relatively small because if you are implementing for the business you you've screwed up the business has and then you have to reward acknowledge champion celebrate you know share share the kind of what's working brilliantly and really be their champions and execute because that's how you get an entire company to start behaving yeah. as if this is how they normally do things and i think that that's the interesting thing about doing this kind of brand work is really in the end you're a change agent and you are both a kind of symbol of the ch- in a positive way but also in a you know really annoying way i mean there'll be lots of people who are like can you just go away can you just like when are you leaving <laughs> somebody actually said to me with a month uh, somebody stuff. said to me on a call like when are you going when are you done when can we get back to normal and i was like you know what i actually I said, thanks for saying that aloud, because then now we can at least talk about it. I mean, they were mortified. They could, you know that moment where you've said it and you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, genuinely, <laughs> this is good. Let's talk it through. So is it important then to always walk away? Well, I mean, you know, this is the dilemma I've always had, right? Which is that, I mean, I crave doing business as usual. I really do. Because actually... <laughs> I think that you can get into it and become more, you know, optimize more and more and more. And the work is never done. Like the work is never done. You get to shift businesses and then you look around and you're like, oh, but these are all the things I haven't done, you know, and that makes you feel a bit sick. Well, it makes me feel a bit sick, but I haven't met many people who do what I do. So the problem I have is if I become a business as usual person, then I feel like I'm not making the most of skills that I've spent years developing. And actually, I I, honestly, like my job satisfaction is not the diagnosis or the strategy. It's seeing it work. Like, I can't tell you. I'm not going to burst into tears on, you know, in the morning. But I, the moment where you start seeing and you can feel it, you can feel it in the feedback, you can feel it in the how lined up people are, even before you start seeing it in the data, right? And when you see it in the data, I mean, I know, like you start seeing little signs and then it just goes, just beautiful. That's what makes me feel amazing because it makes me feel like doing all these hours of work every day for, you know, the majority of our lives is actually meaningful and worthwhile. And in this huge world we're in, and often I work in companies where, you know, it's very rarely you're one of a hundred, like, you know, you're one of thousands, if tens of thousands, yeah, yeah. hundreds of thousands, is that you've made a meaningful difference. And I need that. So yeah, it's, magic. it's that thing of you get to the point where you're like, you love everybody you work with and you want to stay and it's all working and everything. And you have to sort of go, oh God, right. I'm going to have to go and find the next thing now, you know, and that it's, it's, it's. It's a very odd situation, actually. It's like walking away from a party just as it really gets going. Yeah. You're like, you're like Mary Poppins going to find her next family. 
I know. I must rewatch that film and just double check that that's quite a nice thing to be called and not an awful thing. But But it is like, you know, go, you come, you find the problem, you fix it, and then you leave this amazing unit, like cohesive yeah. unit that, that maybe wasn't yeah. cohesive before. And they go and they, you know, go on to bigger, better things. I, I think it's a wonderful, but you, wonderful But you have to um, train people up as you go. So like I, it, I was about this the other day because I, I saw one of the first thing I do within about a week of arriving is like look at all the data for all the people who work for me and figure out who's underpaid, who's in the wrong job, who hasn't got a clue about what their career path is. And then almost like sound out sound out people to the point very quite blatant like do you feel you're in the right job if you could have any job you know what would it be and and i never use in five years time and 10 years time because people they can't think like that but they can think like today we can all think about today right and then it's about really making sure that everybody's playing to their strengths because that's where you get the value exchange between the business and the employee is that you've got brilliant work with a brilliant person in the right position set up to succeed and then you have to try and demonstrate and show and cajole and encourage people so that they do their work in a way that will give it that longevity once the pivots be made. And at the end of it, you should be able to see that everybody's in a much better place than they were when you arrived. And if you and and not even just for the employees that work, but for the talent across the organization where the strategy will unlock things for them. And it's really about partnering and being really upfront with people about, you know, listen, I really want to help you because if we do this, it will make your work work. So I'm I yeah, I I I do a lot of salary fixing and, you know, career path fixing and things like uh, quite early on. And where where yeah. where I can see it's going to be difficult, I I I my brain thinks about it like a game of chess. Like if I can just get them up to here in the next six months, and then if I can get them through that promotion to there, and then I can get their pay up there, and then they'll be. And it's like you know, and it's sometimes four or five just to get people into the right position. But what position? I did have this boss really early on who told me to work with people I thought was better were better than me at what they did, and so I really like finding the people and figuring out what makes them brilliant and then working out how you bring that together because between you, you can do things brilliantly and everybody has their superpower. You just have to find it. Yes. Genuinely. And sometimes yeah. people don't even know they've got it and you have to tease yeah. it out. But I mean, that that's that's the wonderful bit of the work is where, where you walk away and the company is being perceived and experienced in a much more appropriate and better way and people feel full of courage and confidence about how they contribute. And then that, I mean, that's magical. That's honestly, that is absolutely magical when you can see that. And it does make it much harder to walk away. Everything yeah, I was about to say that. Let's make it difficult. But you have to sort of, it's sort of like, they don't need me anymore. See, Mary Poppins, yeah, okay. I'm telling you, rock it again. It's possible. But it, you know, I, I think that's interesting that you've talked about finding the the right people in the right roles in the right things because you know i've certainly seen that where people are in a role and things can change over time as well they, that might have been the right role three years ago but they've evolved they've got different ambitions actually just having that conversation then seeing the opportunity like i you know what i love doing was like knowing that someone had more to give 
and then seeing an opportunity and going, hey, would you think about this? Yeah. Like doing this project, doing this thing, because here's why I think it could be good, yeah. good for you or good for you know, your, your development. And I think it's the, it's the curious mind will, will go after those things as well. So like one of the things I, I look for, I think is really important is just curiosity yeah. in, in people. Yeah. I think it's such a, you never see it on the job description. And I, I'm, I'm kind of on a mission to try to change Absolutely. that. I think it needs to appear in every marketing. Yeah. Agent. I mean, that's what I hire for. Right. So it's funny. You and I think alike on that. I, I think yeah. that if the person is curious, that's everything. Because if you're curious, then you have some kind of va-va-voom and get up and go. Otherwise, you wouldn't be yeah. looking for, how do I do that? What are the answers? But if you're curious, you also will feel like you never should stop learning. And so you'll always want to find out what a new or better or different way of doing things is. And you will probably be relatively good to work with because you are curious about what other people are doing and how they think and what, how they want to work. So, I mean, there's lots of people that I've put into roles where they have never done it before, don't have the expertise. Like on paper, you wouldn't hire them for it. Yep. But where you're like, you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's so interesting because you have done a bit of this, a bit of this and a bit of this. And the way you think is like this. And that's what this role needs. And I can coach you. And then you have to have that very frank conversation where, you're, where you say that. And because yeah. the person has to feel, I mean, really great jobs are ones where they've got, a, you've got a foot in the comfort of today and a foot in the discomfort of tomorrow, right? Or you feel um, like, you know, please don't make me do the splits. Like it's that kind of feeling of like, whoa, whoa, right? So you have to have somebody rooting for you that, set, that acknowledges that that's the situation. And where you talk through how it is you're going to get really brilliant at it. In yeah. the same way that people are, you know, you just want to be promoted and, and seeing them, you know, kind of, I've been here X amount of time and I, you know, and you have to explain to them that, it, that, that the, the job is priced at that level. And that if yeah. they want to do, if they want to be at a different level, then the role will need to be different, bigger, more complex, yeah. more challenging, yeah. you know? And, and often I found people have never had that conversation. They just think that it's about tenure and about their boss liking them and they get promoted and they'll, you know, and it's, so then it becomes like, okay, so if you want to get to that level, what could we do with your remit? And then what's the game of chess on that to be able to get that up, you yeah. know, and that, that's, and then it's, it's, like I, I will absolutely champion you to get to that level, but I can't, I can't just pop you in there. Like, we'll we'll have to carve something. It does make it really hard, though, because it, you can't just write an order chart and then shove people's names in it. You have to work out yeah. what the work is, and then you have to sort of, you have to go, well, if we've got somebody of those skills, if they would do that, then that would mean that we could take that, we could, oh, we could put that here, and then, oh, you know, and, and it's a very different conversation with people who, who are your direct reports about their team, because yeah. it puts yeah. pressure on them to really know the individual and know what they're good at. And know why they're good at it and actually you don't need to know the person although i love to sit and know everybody but you need to ask questions that help you unlock what that person could really do and then you have to marry it with what actual work you have right yeah 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 the, the, the business is yeah you can't just magic yeah. up work you know I mean, so but i think that like someone rooting for you is, is great because you know you know i've certainly been seen situations where the ambition is there but 
they haven't had someone rooting for them. It's just never going to happen. So I think, you know, having honest conversations and, and leaders who are rooting for people and then people put in the yeah. work, right? Because like it's a yeah. two-way thing. It's not just as used there, you sat down to tenure or just a given, but it's really kind of how you, because it's that ambition, right? Like, and I don't mean ambition as a, I want to be the CMO ambition. I just mean ambition, yes. you know, and just to, to go do yeah. stuff. I mean, I, I like reaching for people. I like connecting people to, to yeah. opportunities. I like seeing people thrive. I, I mean, I really, I will often work the phone for people who don't know I'm doing it and don't work for me because I've seen that they've got a problem they just can't solve. And it's who do I know who I could, you know, put a word in with who might be able to help them solve it. And sometimes I get phone calls from people going, were you behind this? Because this just, and I'm like, well, I'd put a couple of calls in, but I didn't do any heavy listing, yeah. you know, but I, I am constantly looking for ways to make the work happen more smoothly and for people to have greater ability to actually do things successfully because we get in our own way. We get in our own way as individuals, yes. we get in our own way as org structures. I mean, you know, the the flip-flop between centralized, decentralized, between, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, business, there's no, there's no yeah, business model works. that works, basically, as far as I can tell. Yeah. They are all, and all brilliant, right? So, but you can, you can see where people are getting stuck. And if you can do anything to help, so I, I, I try and make as many friends as possible where I can just, I mean, I, you know, I know I've kind of arrived at a business when I can ping somebody and go, have you got yes. three minutes for me today? And my phone yeah. rings. Yeah. And they're between yeah. meetings That's and they, they're like, I need to have this meeting a couple of minutes early and they call and it doesn't matter what you're, you're like, you take the call and you just go, blah, 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 and they go, oh, I saw all of those things. But that's absolutely huge to have. Yeah, you have, and you have to invest time in it, I think, you know, and I'm up front, yeah. you know, investing time getting to know people so you can you can do that. We're, we're, at, we're at time, Rachel, and I told you this for two hours. And for, sure <laughs> so tell what's next. I, I do. I do think a book. Don't you? But anyway, yeah, I do. I, I think like the the level of knowledge that you have and being able to, like you've talked about like that, that methodology and being able to know like how to get from A to B. I think there's, like, I honestly think there's, there's a gap. There's lots of books on brand strategy and brand, but I think that methodology could be really, really beneficial to people. That's my two cents. But what's next in your well, two So. I'm looking for the next thing, and I don't know what that is. And it, I have never known anything come towards me in a straight line. So I also know that I won't see it coming. It will be a phone call one day. Okay. It's always a phone call and it's always out of the blue. But yeah, I'm deliberating the book thing. I, just as you said, I can't find anything that tells you how to start at the beginning and work your way through. I can find lots of amazing case studies, but they don't tell you how to do it. And I don't know that most people won't reposition their business for growth many times in their career. So being able to pull something out and go, you know, I can do this. I just need to do these things in this order. Because I, I've never found that. I've had to put it together myself, the methodology. Yeah. So, so, but it's like, I don't, how arrogant is it to write a book? And also, will anyone read it? And is it worth it? And how long will it take? And I, I so. Well, as I said, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll see. But I, I, it's so, it's, it's time to breathe and consolidate and think about everything and also go to the theater and like, yeah, a kid, 
and see friends that you've made years ago that you haven't seen and return calls because when you're in yeah. the thick of it you, you you know i work till 10 p.m kind of just to make it all you know i get really committed yeah. and stuck in and so you need time to just decompress and be fit and healthy and everything and i think that yeah. also i'm never afraid of the gaps between work one day i will be i'm sure because the gap will yeah i i I find it quite peaceful moments where you look back and you reflect on what worked and what didn't and what you're proud of and what you wish you'd done differently. And that yeah. I think that's lovely. And get you ready for the yeah. next one, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. Rachel, well, listen, whenever the call will come, you will be ready. And look, my last one again, I, I do hope there's a book in, there is a book in it. There's a book in you. So maybe, maybe we'll get to read that someday. Thank you so much for joining me. And that's why cool marketing. It was an absolute Thank pleasure. You. I've loved it. Oh, Rachel really got me there when we talked about curiosity. It is so important for us to be curious as marketers. I was so thrilled we thought the same way on that. And I really loved hearing about how Rachel approaches her team. Lots of great learnings there. I have spoken to some amazing global B2B leaders. John Lombardo, Tara Spain, Judy Nam, Damien Devaney, and now Rachel Farley. And one thing that has come out from talking to all of them is brand is important in B2B despite what you are told. And do you know what? Actually, there's a second thing. There is no reason B2B marketing should be, in my words, mind-numbingly boring. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share, subscribe, get in touch. Finding all our previous episodes on That's What I Call Marketing.com. Follow us on Instagram. That's what I call marketing on Twitter. That's underscore marketing. Of course, we need to call that X now. And it's still that's underscore marketing. And of course, you can watch our episode back on YouTube. It's still called YouTube. Yes, it is. And you'll find us. That's what I call marketing. From me, Connor Byrne, your host until the next episode. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks again to the Indie List for their support of this show. If you need experienced, excellent marketing talent, Go to theindylist.ie. Don't go anywhere else. Theindylist.ie.